Black Country Blokes Chewing the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. Ah, been you guys. This is Black and True Blokes Tuna Fast with me, Kev Dillon, Aaron Jew, Craig Pinches, Lee Cadman. And today we're joined by a very special guest, Mick Maguire, who's the head coach at the Julian Porter in, Bo- in Birmingham. Now, sometimes in boxing, we have a bad name for, I don't know why we have a bad name, but we're here today to talk about the positives that amateur boxing bring, that family that sometimes is missing, that role model, obviously fitness, and overall, the goodness that amateur boxing brings. So thank you ever so much, Mick, for coming on. No problem. My pleasure. I can give you some good points. So, Mick, I mean... You've been in the game for a long, long time. But what we've, we've all got hundreds of stories about some of the lives we've saved. And you said something off air about it's not only the people who compete for us, it's the people who just come. So please dive into it, mate. Tell us. Well, I think, I think sometimes we're, um, especially when we're in the middle of it, coaches and, and clubs, and you know, Kev, you're on the club. We, we, we can get a bit caught up with um, a particular campaign championship or a particular boxer that's doing well which which is great of course it is it's lovely that we achieve but the real success is i think is in the background because for everyone that competes there's another you tell me there's another 10 and they're the don't compete yeah so our real our real measure of success i think is are you getting people into the clubs in the first place? Because um, you've got to acknowledge a boxing club for the first time you walk in. Um, I know the first time I ever went in to a boxing club, it frightened me to death, and I wanted to go and learn to box. You know, I, I went there willingly, but nevertheless, it's a very frightening environment. Um, but very quickly, it was obvious to me, even as a young kid, which I was then, um, 13, 12, 13, that everybody in there actually was part of one big group, or, or you've just said it, Kevin, in your introduction, one big family. And boxing, I've played football, I've played hockey at a very good level, but boxing for me is almost unique in the fact that um, if you're a footballer, and I can play Sunday football, but I, I don't go and train alongside David Beckham. Do I? He, he has his own training session. Well, in boxing, and you've got them I mean, in your gym, Kev, you've got champions, you've got kids who've gone to Europeans. They train next to the kid who's never, never been in a contest. And when you come in, you can't tell, you know, one hasn't got a higher status than the other, have they? They're, no. they're all in it together. And I think that's one of the biggest positives we've got in boxing clubs. Everybody comes in, and regardless of your ability or your experience or your size or your gender or, or your ethnicity or whatever, everybody's equal. 
in the eyes of everybody else. So, you know. I often, think, I often think if the rest of the country was like a boxing club where, you, as you say, you've got a lad from Yemen, a lad from Ghana, a lad, a Romani traveller, traveller, an Irish traveller, and all the racism and prejudice is left outside because when you're there, you are a part of the Jewish you are a lion. And that's, I, I think it's so brilliant. Like your super heavyweight now, who's on the pathway to GB, super heavyweight, delicious. He's originally, or his family, from Russia. But he comes in at this ginormous spectacle of a man, and then he'll have a little two-foot-free girl and take her on the pads mm -hmm. because all the nastiness is taken out. He's there to better that person. Yeah, 100%. Somebody put it to me a really, um, in a really salient way a few years back on. I, don't, I can't remember who said it to me, but um, somebody said to me, uh, boxing is one of the very few avenues in life where you have to accept that we are all equal because it doesn't matter who punches you on the nose, it hurts. It doesn't <laughs> matter whether they're six foot six or two foot one. It doesn't matter whether they're from darkest Africa or you know, uh, Scandinavian Europe, but it really doesn't mean bloke, woman. You get punched on the nose, it hurts, doesn't it? It doesn't matter who hits you. My little, you know, I've got about 432 grandchildren, and even the youngest one's only about five weeks old now. If he caught me unawares and flung his arm out and hit me on the nose, it would still hurt. Mm. So, you know, boxing's unique, isn't it, in lots of ways? But doesn't it tell you we're all the same? We really are all the same, you know. And I think, like, people lose sight of that because if you're not from a boxing world and you look in and you see two young men or two young women, they go, isn't it barbaric? They go, they're athletes. They have a they have corner people who love them like they're their own children. You have referees and in amateur boxing, if the referee sees any, any trouble whatsoever, they will, they will stop the bout. And furthermore, you have cornermen that would die for the children. And if they see they're in trouble, the tail is in. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I've, I've come across it a few times where um, referees, and I'm sure you have, referees stop contest. And, and, uh, and parents and supporters in the crowd that want the lad or the last to win. And, and they're shouting and abusing the referee for stopping it. And, and I just always think to myself, the referee is looking after the welfare. You know what? They can, they can win another day. <laughs> it's not the be-all and end-all. I think we get, the crowd especially, get so caught up in the moment that they forget. I've heard, I'm going off the point a bit here, but it's, it's relevant, I think. I've heard I was at a show where two 12-year-old girls were boxing and one of the mums was on the side of the ring banging on it, shouting, knock her out. Mm. And you think, come on, yeah. these are two 12-year-old kids. Now, that, I, I don't for a minute think the mother really meant, you know, really wanted somebody to get knocked out. I think the emotion of it mm. just took over, you know, and the, I suppose there's 
you know, we talk about the, the mental pressure on boxers and coaches and, you know, the people within the sport. What about the mental pressure on the parents who's got a kid? You imagine none of my children box. So let's get that, you know, happily, I have to say, because I couldn't coach them. I'd be too hard on them. I'd have to go somewhere else. But none of them chose to box. And for me as a parent, I was blissfully happy about that because my instinct as a parent is if somebody is trying to hurt my child, I want to stop them. Mm. So those parents are overriding that. So, you know, I think sometimes we forget about the impact that it has on the parents as well. Well, sometimes, Mick, and I bet you've seen it, and you'll, you'll have a kid and you're going, um, Kev, how are you feeling? I feel good. Then the dad will come in good. Oh, he's ever so nervous. He's ever so nervous. Yeah. Oh, well, you're thinking, hang on, you're putting your nerves onto the baby. The baby is doing it because he enjoys it. You're doing it because you want him to win so you can go to work tomorrow going, oh, ah, Kev's won again. And I'm thinking, it's not about you. It's about your child. And if you got, if, if your nerves are too bad for you, don't go to the contest. Just allow your child to enjoy what he's doing. And when he stops enjoying it, allow him then to go into football, cricket, tennis, ballet, whatever it is. But your child's happiness is the most important thing in the world. I think that's... Yeah. Um, if I can just jump in, please. Like, how how would you say... Um, how much does emotion affect boxing, whether it's the fighters or whether it's the parents and people's decision? Do you think a lot of the decision when they're calling for bans and they, you know, they're, they're sort of um, being harsh critics of it, do you think it's emotion? Do you think emotion controls like people's thoughts on boxing or do you think it's just people being um, awkward? I think there's a bit of both, to be fair, Craig. I think, um, so, listen, if, if you've grown up um, and the environment you've grown up in uh, preaches to you that uh, boxing is barbaric or violent, you're going to struggle to come through life and not have that belief because our environment is a big creator of how we think and how our thought process is involved. Yeah? So, um, it's it's Marmite, isn't it, boxing? You generally find that people are either, they don't, they, they don't support it whatsoever or they're absolutely in love with it. There's not many people you come across that go, yeah, boxing's all right, I can take it or leave it. You know, it's a very divisive sport. Um, as an example, everybody who's going to go and compete has to go and undertake a medical. Now, nowadays, we're quite fortunate because we've got lists of England boxing registered uh, doctors that they are in support of the sport. Back in my day, you had to go to your local GP. Now, me personally, I went to the local GP and he refused to conduct the medical because he did not agree with boxing. So we had to get another GP within that practice who supported him to do the medical. Now, the outcome is the same, isn't it? I'm still going to go and box after I've had my medical. So it's, it's based on opinions and opinions very often 
are formed from the environment around us or the experiences along the way. So, you know, e either or either, but emotion definitely plays a part, doesn't it? Of course it does. I'd love it if those people, the, the naysayers against it, don't necessarily go to a boxing show or championships, but spend a week in the club. So you can see, as I say, your ABA champion going over to Darren, who's never going to box. And when Kev's coming in, he's had a bad day and seeing all the love that goes into it, or my missus kicked me out, or my dad's knocked me about, and seeing the true love, not just by the coaches, but by the surrogate parents that we've become, to the brothers. I mean, about crying, I've seen lads when we've gone on championships and he's lost and he's come out and the more experienced lads or the non-bouters will go over and go, don't worry, champ, it happens to all of us, we'll be okay. And that's what I think a lot of people miss from boxing is actual boxing club where that's where the love and the bonds are formed for life. Yeah, 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 couldn't agree more, Kev. But I think, Listen, we're in a more enlightened age now. We're very fortunate. Um, sport, um, boxing, definitely society in general. We're, we're making huge advances in the way that people communicate and um, show their emotions and their feelings. The very fact that we're having these conversations now, um, you know, would bear that out. Um, so, but boxing in particular in the past think about some of the terms that that you hear coaches um in the past parents um supporters say uh man up yeah what do you mean man up well i, I don't know what it means man up yo you got you gotta toughen up really have I? i've got to toughen up i'm 12 and i'm going into a boxing ring against someone else whose job is to hit me in the face and you think I'm not tough already? I've got to toughen up, have No, you've got to reflect on yourself, my friend. That's the, that should be the answer, shouldn't it? Um, well, the very term that we use, we don't use it in amateur boxing. Fight. We don't. I don't use that term. Do you? No. It's a contest for a bet. You're fighting next week. Yeah, we don't deliberately. We don't use that because that then perpetuates the the facade that it's combat it's not combat it's sport but you know it's hard to differentiate when when traditionally boxing clubs boxing coaches and people around it are using terms like um fight man up you gotta toughen up smash them you know these terms that you very often you know, when I, when I went on a suicide aware course, they said, How many poor souls, the last thing before they completed suicide, the last thing they ever heard was somebody say, Man up, you got to tough up. Yeah. Exactly. And I, exactly. And I, he's thinking whether he's lost a bout or whether he's on the brink of completing suicide, he doesn't need them terms because that isn't going to toughen him up. A cuddle. In them situations, is more powerful than a slap around the back of the head. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kev, I've seen it, you've seen it. Thankfully, it's very rare nowadays. But over the years, I've seen uh, young men and women um, in their 20s 
come away from a boxing contest absolutely distraught because because they haven't won um and i don't believe that that's the result of pressure they put on themselves that's pressure that's come from outside of that environment sometimes it can be uh, let's be honest sometimes it can be a, a coach that creates that a poor coach will create that sort of pressure um in fact i've seen coaches ripping ripping to kids who've just come out of the most important day of their life and haven't achieved the success that they wanted and and the coach's first thought is you know what he's not down and up now i'm gonna rip into him now you know and it, it's it's absolutely tragic to be fair we see a lot of that coaches are coming up more but you know they still the odd case of that it's horrible isn't it so how do we change this mick how do we make this better education um coach education has improved massively over the last 10 10 years particularly i would say it's it's improved oh, tenfold the so when i did my first coaching course in 1989 okay and back, and back then um i did it with a guy called reg Steele, who kevin may remember reg was kevin's dad's coach yeah so that's how old we are but reg he was a fantastic coach but he was a disciplinarian he was a very very strict rigid fella and when i did that coaching course um I deliver coaching courses now, by the way, you know, now they, they're, they're like chalk and cheese because back then it was like being part of the armour. Bear in mind, we're going in as volunteers and want to give our time up to go and help other people. And straight away, you've got someone barking at you and you will do this and you must do that. And do you know, and, and that whole, that whole ethos ran through coach education at that time. And I think that then created that mentality in a lot of the coaches where it, I must shout and I must bark and, and you know, I've got to be a disciplinarian. Yeah, there's a place for regulation and conformity. Of course there is. But there needs to be a gentle touch to it all because you're asking anyone, I don't care who you are, getting having someone throwing punches at your face whilst not moving your head in fact it's getting a bit technical but if you're going to slip a punch you actually move your head towards the punch well that's not a natural reaction your natural reaction is that isn't it pull away get out of the way so we're trying to coach human beings to override their natural instinct yeah your natural instinct wants to protect you we're trying to coach them to override that. Well, in my opinion, the way forward of doing that is not bollocking the life out of someone. It's it's gradually increasing their ability to cope with those situations. You know, so and that has to be done with a soft touch. And isn't that isn't that a great life skill, though, Mick? Yeah, of course it is, mate. Yeah. Listen, being being a good coach should not be measured 
by how well you can teach someone how to jab. Should it? <clears throat> Being a good coach should be measured on how well you can communicate and interact with people. And if yeah. they keep coming back to you, you're probably doing a good job. Do you know what's a perfect example of that? Sorry, Sorry, Craig. Do you know um, the perfect example of that is like Hollywood when you get like the fight movies, you've always got the bad guy fighter and you've always got the good guy fighter trained by the old knowledgeable uh, master, and it's always the one that's trained by the calm person who knows how to talk and teach slowly and effectively that win in the end. And I know that that's a movie scenario, but I still think that that's that's a very good touch on the direction you should go the one that's barking at them and shouting at them and really putting them under pressure you know they never come out on top and I think that is applicable to real life as well as the movies yeah yeah great it's a good I've never, never thought of that way Craig it's a very good observation though that so yeah you bang on Don't there's, there's times for a good old rollicking isn't there <laughs> but sometimes well, it's also done on a catalogue of experience that yes. you you learn you learn the person, you learn the individual, you learn the ups and downs, you learn what motivates them, you learn what they can react to. Some can take it, um, you know. Some will really respond from a bit of a push and a bit of a bollocking. Others will shrink, and and. Good coaches recognise where and when you can apply these different things. But ultimately, it's about relationships. Yeah. And building building strong relationships where you can trust each other and talk to each other. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> a few years, I got caught out with this. A few years back, a lad rung me that I hadn't seen that used to box for a million pounds seven eight years previously and i hadn't heard anything from him in between and anyway he found me up oh you make it such and such oh pretty hell how are you how's things going etc oh fantastic listen up i'm getting married in a couple of, in a couple of weeks i'd love it if you would come to you know to watch me get married we're going to reach come again watch you get married you made a big difference to me and, you know i'm really impressed he never said any of that while he was boxing for me. He never said any of that in the seven to eight years in between. But he took the time to phone me and invite me to his wedding. And this will happen to you, Kev. Yeah. But here's a warning for you. Always check where they live before you agree. Because I said, of course I will, no problem, I'll come. Just let me know. Oh, it's blah, blah, blah. I'm living in Portsmouth today. <laughs> I thought, Oh my god. So I had to go all the way down to Portsmouth. So now if that ever happens, I go, where are you living there, mate? I always check that first. Just just on about something you're on about, Mick, say like you've got to know your boxer. Like so it's called some move to towards pleasure and some move away from pain. So <clears> and that's what you've got to learn when you're in the corner. Some and they won't respond to the other ones. Some people don't like um, being told off, but if you say, Mick, you're one way away from getting this gold medal his eyes will shine if you give him a rollicking he'll go into it but the kid who's going away from pain if you go are you going to let him beat you tonight and he'll go by hell i won't and you've got to know 
this by your boxers, haven't you? And this is, the only way you can learn this is by being with them five days or however many days for open a week because you know their triggers. You know that's going to make them back into the corner and you know someone who's going to make them walk through walls for you. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the, best, um, the best interactions that I ever have with boxers across 30-odd years of coaching. Um, the best interactions where you really get to know what they're about usually is when you're travelling back from a show. Yeah. You're sitting in the car and you might have an hour, an hour and a half, maybe two hours drive to go back. And it doesn't matter whether they've won or lost because sometimes they just want to talk to you in general mm -hmm. about rubbish, really, you think. And then out of the blue, you know, they go, um, it could be a really small thing. Um, listen, make sure you're in the gym Monday night when you're on the now. I really struggle on Monday. Yeah, yeah, well, I've noticed that you've been late a few times. Why is that then? Oh, yeah, it's just like, you know, at home and uh, my mum's working all the time and I have to look after my little brother and stuff. And you get to know these little things in the background. And, and these little small details are absolutely essential to their life. And if I'm not listening to that and I'm not creating the opportunity to find out those things, I, I could put demands on them that, that they just can't live up. I need you in at five o'clock on Monday. Well, it doesn't matter what I want because if their life situation dictates that they can't do that, again, I'm pressuring them outwardly unnecessarily because I haven't took the time to find out what's going on. So that that's key, I think. It's the relationship, the communications in format. Listen, the boxing, I love boxing, you know that. Um, and I love to see, do I want to lose when, when my boxer goes out? No, of course I don't. Why would I bother if I want to lose? I might as well just stay, stay in the gym and never compete. I want to win. But is it the be all and end all? No. Because as long as they come out safe and they've enjoyed it, it doesn't really matter whether they win or not. You know, the important bits are the other bits like you said, give the support. The belonging. Kids who come into boxing clubs generally want to belong to something. Well, two, point, two points I want to say. Um, two points I want to say. Now. As you say, look, we're not we're not just boxing coaches. We're not just there to throw a jab back and left hook. We're the counsellor, the father figure, the big brother, the ear to cry on. And when it, when they do do well, we'll be the first one to go to the wedding to buy them a drink. And, back, and with the performances, obviously when you're there, you want to win. But what we've started doing, and I know you and some of the better coaches have started doing it, is like on the on the traffic lights, green, a good day in the office. Even if we've lost them, we've had our pants pulled down, did you perform well? Yeah, so it's a green day. Orange, so-so. Red, you got the decision, but in all honesty, you didn't perform. And I think sometimes when we judge the performance instead of the verdict, we have happier boxers. Listen, I'll give, I'll give you a great example. Um, uh, I won't put any names to it because that's, that's not fair. But anyway, a lad I had, big specimen, great big uni, strong, tough as I come. Uh, he boxed the one year in the championships. 
uh, we got to the quarterfinal. He boxed, he boxed absolutely out of his skin on the day. Better than I've ever seen him perform before. And we lost on a split decision. Now, you could argue all day whether that's fair or not. Who cares? Anyway, we get back in the dressing room. And he's moping around. And I'm jumping about, smiling and giggling with him. And he said to me, well, why are you so happy? I've just lost. I said, no, 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 no. What you've just done there, you boxed the best I've ever seen you box. So that, in my view, I don't care what the judges said. I think that's brilliant. Now, the same kid, it was only about two weeks later, a bait came up in Wales. And I took him down to Wales. And he boxed. And he boxed absolutely rubbish. I mean, real, like he'd never been in a boxing ring. And he won. He won on a split decision. And he got yeah. back in and two or three of his mates had travelled to support him. And we're in there. When I got in there, and it. And they were, hey, hey. And I, I said to him, lads, can you, can you chip out, please, for a minute? And, uh, and he's there and he's smiling. And I said, I don't know what you're so happy about. Because you have performed way under what you're capable of doing there. Oh, I don't, I don't understand. I said, you were unhappy when you performed well two weeks ago, and now you're over the moon that you've performed poorly. I said, you got, you got your, your priorities are all wrong. Anyway, since that conversation, he's actually, he's gone on and started performing consistently. And do you know what I think it is? It took the pressure off that he was mentally placing on himself. Yeah. I must win. <clears throat> what sport? Tell me this. Who plays sport? Any of you. Not you, Kev. You're a boxer, I know. Another sport. Come on, give me an example. We all box, Rumpy. I think. <laughs> right. Yeah, boxers, normally. Alan, you don't any sports? I play a bit of football, but I'm, I'm not nothing special. Right, okay. Football. You're a footballer, yeah? Mm -hmm. How many games have you played? Oh, hundreds, hundreds, thousands. And how many did you win? <laughs> probably half, probably less. Do you see, do you see the points I'm making yeah, to Absolutely, you? yeah. Once you say to someone, I am a boxer, their first question is, how many contests have you had? And then the second question is, how many did you win? Mm. As if that tells them how good or, or not you are. You know, and we're the only sport where that happens. Mm. So there's a there's a pressure on you straight away. I think I think a bit of terminology, Mick, that we've got to lose in amateur boxing as well is I was robbed, I was robbed, I was robbed. Sometimes we've been there and your pants have been pulled down. But we've instead of blaming the judges, blaming everyone, we've got to think, all right then, what can I do to stop that from happening again? Because I hear from so many coaches and from so many parents, oh, well, Kev was robbed again. I went, all you're doing is building up a negative thing here. You've got to accept it and move on from it. But once you've moved on from it, how can I stop that from happening again? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, listen, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm probably the only coach in the country that, that thinks this, because I've had this debate, million times or lots of them and they say to me oh that decision was wrong 
nice guy. There are no wrong decisions. And they go, what you are you can say one that I said, no, no. There are no wrong decisions because the judge is there to make a decision. And whatever his decision is, is the correct decision. Because it's just an opinion. It's not boxing boxing such a subjective thing, scoring wise. So um I may like a stylish um tight crisp technically correct boxer and if he's fighting a bit of a brawler my bias is automatically going to go towards the crisp technically adaptive isn't it in a close contest does that mean does that mean i'm cheating no it just means that i've got a i've got an unnatural i've got an unconscious bias but if my opinion is my honest opinion is i thought red one then it must be correct have you got any questions, Aaron? The Mick. Those those not actual questions, but I had um, a bit of a real life example actually, Kev. So Mick, how you spoke about a coach and what a coach brings to the table? Like Kev sitting here now, he's somebody who has been that person to me, like a friend, a mentor, somebody I've looked up to. And I came from a boxing club. I'm not going to name any names, um, which was a very kind of cutthroat philosophy. It was. If I had shin splints at that time, so I couldn't actually run. Like the GP was like, you shouldn't be running because it's very dangerous. And it was run five miles or you're never coming back here again. Man up. And I used to get a lot of that. But I, I used to just persevere through it. And I remember my first bout I actually had. And, and I was cruising. Like the crowd were, were cheering. And I was thinking, this, this is crazy. And I was boxing as a counterboxer. So I was only throwing jabs, rarely throwing a right. And I was up, up on points at this stage. And then the actual thing he said was, knock him out now. Like, this is your fight. Again, the same terminologies that you guys are using. Fight. Now, as a counterboxer and not necessarily an aggressive fighter, I went in. This kid got underneath me and ended up cutting me. And then, obviously, my mentality went and I ended up losing the ne next rounds. Now, that's not a slant on them because, obviously, I take accountability for, for the whole thing that happened. But then I moved over to the Lions where I met Bob and then I met Kev. And I remember Kev saying something. So Kev probably knew what I was like. I'm the first person to criticize myself. I don't need anyone else to tell me I'm doing a bad job. Like I'm my own worst critic. And I remember I, was, I think I was trying to do something with Kev on the pads. And he was like, it's my job as a coach to get it right for you. It's not the problem isn't you. Whereas I grew up with that mentality that I was the problem, that I had failed. And I think that in itself is such a powerful lesson as a coach. And I've done coaching from a personal training standpoint that it's not about what do you know, let me now teach you my way. It's about how can we facilitate what this person actually needs and make and make it work for them, if that makes sense. So really, it was just kind of like echoing what you guys are all speaking about. And I think it's a testament that Kev came to my wedding. I invited him and we've become like, he's like one of my best friends in the world as a result of that. And I never actually got to box for him, but who knows? I'm still 33 years young, so you never know. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, you never know. But let me ask you a question, Aaron. When, when that coach told you, although even though you had shin splints, you must run five miles. How did that make you feel? To be honest, it was my dream to box. So I wanted to box as a young kid. So I was like, if that's what I got to do, I've got to do. It. But it made me feel like. Like he wasn't caring for, for actually my well-being because the doctor had just told me your shins can effectively shatter. But then because my desire to become a boxer was so big, I, I didn't want to be a quitter. I didn't want to be less of a man. 
So I remember I was the unfittest at that point. I had little kids calling me fatty because I was very overweight. So I was like, I have to prove a point here. But in hindsight, that could have effectively ruined my legs. But, you know, I got through it. But I just don't think that was the right methodology. But again, going back to what you guys were saying, I think he was taught from the old school, the man up, the authoritarian kind of um, discipline way. Well, I think, I think yes, he could have ruined your legs. But I think potentially what he did was ruin your relationship, even in a small part there, because he didn't, he didn't take it account of anything actually that you were saying. I mean, did you let him know that the doctor told you that simply? Yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty much. Okay. Before the run so, yeah. So. Whether he knew it or you knew it at the time or, or whether you know it now, potentially there. That was the beginning of you ending up at another club. Because that was the first breakdown in the relationship of trust that you should, that you must have with a with sports, with coaching, and essentially with boxing. Because let's not dress it up. We're in a risk to life sport. The ultimate thing that can go wrong in a boxing ring can result in death. So, you know, let's not dress that up. There is an inherent danger there for boxing. Yes, we make it as safe as we can. And actually, statistically, we're one, I think we're one of the, the safest sports. But you have to build that relationship of trust. And maybe that was, the, that was probably the start of you ending up at another club. Yeah, absolutely. Really? No, absolutely. I agree. And having a coach who sees you as more than just a boxer, as a person, you you walk through fires for that person because they understand you. Like Kevin understood my anxiety. Kevin understood me beating myself up. So he was more compassionate. Even Bob, the few times I trained with him. And I think that made me want to do more because I was always a hard worker. But it's sometimes you, you want a bit of compassion as a man. And obviously now we speak about mental health more openly. But even back then, knowing the kind of, personality that i am i needed it then and i think i'm grateful now that hopefully when young kids come up now they won't suffer the well i didn't necessarily suffer but they won't have that sort of ill treatment and they can just be coaches can be more compassionate towards them and just help them really well mick what we're gonna do yeah before yeah well oh, sorry carry on. We're, that's where we're going i think we've got sorry then you carry on yeah well we've got i just wanted to say i think now we're in a stronger position than we've ever been in um, as a sport, boxing, because we've got all of these different community initiatives that go on within boxing clubs now. Um, mental health provision, crime intervention, um, uh, food poverty, uh, hate crime. They're, all these things are going on within boxing clubs. What they're doing is creating and, and, and fostering this environment to get wider and wider and wider where everybody accepts everybody for who they are and what they are. And that includes young Aaron, age whatever age, saying, you know what, I don't know if I could run because the doctors told me this. And yeah, and whereas, you know, a while back, perhaps we, we all might have said to you, man up, Aaron. And go and do your run, which is what your coach said to you. And he probably didn't know any better. You know? Absolutely. 
But nowadays, I'd be very surprised if that happened to you now. Now, I think people would be trying to question that. In in his defence, there are kids who just don't want to win. Of course, and they'll tell course. you all sorts of weird and wonderful stories. You know, to avoid and stuff. So, you know, perhaps he'd come across a lot of those in his days or whatever. But your job as a coach is to find the truth and find out what motivates that statement or what motivates that action. And then once you have found out what motivates the action or the, or the speech, you then should be trying to find out how do I now help that individual move on beyond that, you know, shouting at them and hitting them with a brick probably isn't the best way. Well, well Mick, before we go, I'm going to ask you two questions. The, the last one I'm going to ask you is, have you, have, have you got any inspirational quotes who have got you through hard times? But before I ask you that one, because we're going to do a bit of a soundboard at the end of the week with all our guests, and it is, after the lockdown, how do you think, how do you think this lockdown will be beneficial or positive for mental health? What do you hope will come from this positively? Okay, so which order do you want them in? Uh, uh, the positive after mental health, uh, after lockdown for mental health. Do you want that first? Yes, you want please. That first? Yeah, right, okay. I think there's lots of positives. Um, I think there are lots of negatives, but let's, let's focus on the positives. A lot of people, yourself included, um, you as well, Kev, probably, I would think. I don't know how busy you guys are, but I've spent the last sort of 20 years so focused on delivering activity of the club and looking after this group and watching that group and making sure they're all right and going to squads. And this is the first time in the last 20-odd years where I've had a lot of time to myself so for me, for my well-being, it's been massive because it's allowed me to, um, I've started running again regularly because I've got a bit more time. That's helped me um, because physically I'm feeling a lot fitter and better than I did before that. And then secondly, I've had a lot of time to reflect on things and, and I find myself phoning people up and uh, people phoning me up and just, hey, you know, because they don't see me all the time, they're then ringing. Uh, the boxers, some of the boxers will ring me. One of them rings me every week on the Thursday. How are you? Everything all right? The first week I said, what are you ringing me for? Just check if you're okay. You think, hang on, how did that happen? I'm supposed to be the one who's looking after everybody. But actually, they're all, and it really brings it home to you. So I think people are connecting quite well. Look, I didn't. I knew you, Kevin, but I didn't know these three guys before um, lockdown. You know, so and I think you know what else is really positive: the video um, conference thing, because so many people now are using Zoom or, or um, we better mention whatever this. What's this platform? We better mention that, or you know, or just FaceTime or things like that, because they can't go and see people. And little about you, but. You know, when the face pops up as well on the phone, it's a much, it's much nicer, isn't it? 
Yeah. I think. You know? So I think the communication actually there's there's a possibility that people could come out at the other end of lockdown a lot more communicative than when they're winning. And the last and the last question, mate, is have you got any sayings or, or quotes that have got you for your tough times? Well, your dad, your dad's told me a few. Okay, but I can't use any of them because the language is too bad. <laughs> so, yeah, I tell you, I tell you one that always sticks in my mind. It's it's a famous sports coach for the life of me. I can't remember what his name is now. The coach, I think he's an American football coach, but. He said, before they care how much you know, they have to know how much you care as a coach. And I think that, that sums it up perfectly. You might be the most knowledgeable coach in the world, but unless that athlete knows that you've got their best interests at heart, you might as well be talking to the one. Well, Mick, thank you ever so much for coming on today. Um, now we're going live for the rest of this week as we have all week. If you haven't seen our episodes so far, you can find them on YouTube or on our Facebook channel. Um, tomorrow we're joined by Marcus Leonard, who's been on twice previously. He works within the mental health in Black Country. So until tomorrow, gang, take care of yourselves and each other. To a bit. Listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta a bit. Listen, listen.